Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Uh, welcome to all of you who are here at our Tyson's location, those of you joining us uh, from our different locations as well as online. It's good to be uh, together, gathered under God's uh, word today. You can make your way to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1 is where we're going to be uh, today. And if you're new to our church, my name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a joy to be able to share uh, with you. Happy Father's Day, gentlemen. Can we give it up for the... That was... That was Happy Father's Day, fellas. You know, in light of that uh, underwhelming, initially underwhelming response, uh, I saw a picture this week that I thought was uh, pretty, pretty hilarious. We'll put it up here on the screen for you, just as a comparison. Somebody said, where's my bacon? <laughs> Somebody, exactly. That might be the only thing that's on that sandwich. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't create that picture, uh, nor am I necessarily co-signing it. I just thought it was funny and moderately insightful. That's it. <laughs> no, in our culture, uh, and rightfully so, uh, man, we value women and mothers, and we celebrate uh, mothers. But, uh, fellas, can we admit that in our culture, Father's Day feels, you know, <laughs> a little bit like a consolation prize? And sometimes, honestly, when we come to church, uh, Mother's Day is such a great day of encouragement. Father's Day is the day where you just come to get beat up. Well, that's not, uh, not today. I do want to challenge us as men. I want to challenge those of us who are fathers, but I hope in a way that will be encouraging from God's word. And uh, just to set up our time, as I was thinking about this message in 1 Timothy chapter 1, uh, it took me back to um, a funeral of a friend of mine. His name was Kenny. This was years ago. Uh, Kenny was young and passed away, and that's a, a whole story there. But I remember uh, being at his funeral, and Kenny was uh, a part of a, a famous gospel music group. And so his funeral literally had thousands of people. It was an auditorium just like this. I mean, packed, standing room only in Philly. Mostly it was young adults uh, who were there and people kind of in the music industry. And I remember sitting in that funeral, and I remember listening to all the tributes and listening to how many people talked about the influence Kenny had on their life. Now, this is a guy who was known as a musician, as a dancer. He's part of a famous gospel group. They got a Grammy. They had Stellar Awards. They had Dove Awards, all this stuff. Nobody was talking about what Kenny produced what they were talking about was the influence that Kenny had on their life. And I remember sitting there thinking to myself, what do I want people to say about me at my funeral? What would people say about me? And that was a critical moment for me because as a young pastor, young preacher, young minister, I remember thinking to myself, yes, I want to be a good, faithful preacher. But that's not what I want the majority of people to say at my funeral. Oh, he was such a, a great preacher. Because here's what I know, because I know it in my own house. Y'all don't remember what I preach on anyway. So I don't want people to just stand up and just talk about my sermons. I thought in that moment, as I listened to how people talked about Kenny, I thought to myself, I really want the impact of my life to be the influence that I have on other people. And so this is the question for all of us, but particularly to you men, here's a question for you. What if your greatest legacy isn't something? 
What if your greatest legacy is someone? In fact, I'll put it to you this way because I want to answer that question for you. I would put it to you this way. Your greatest legacy will not be something you do. Your greatest legacy will be someone you develop. And that's what I want us to talk about in 1 Timothy chapter 1. And I'm not just talking to fathers. I'm talking to all of us men. And I'm just not just talking to grown men. If you're a young boy, young teenager, a growing young man as a college student here or watching online or at any of our locations, I want you to actually like sit up, pay attention, because as you think about the vision for your life, what we're going to talk about today needs to be a part of the vision for your life. Your vision for your life needs to be about more than where you're going to go to college or what job you're going to get or who you're going to marry or, or the mark you want to make on the world. Your vision for your life needs to include how you're going to steward your influence in the lives of other people for the glory of God. And this is what we see in the life of the Apostle Paul. First Timothy chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 and 2. The Apostle Paul, that great kind of Christian leader, is writing to his young uh, mentee, Timothy, and he begins his first letter to Timothy this way. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. And I just want to stop right there. To Timothy, my true child in the faith. And as we celebrate Father's Day today, I want to double click on that description in verse 2. He calls Timothy his child in the faith. And I want us to explore what that means and how it's relevant for us today. So this sermon is going to be a little different than normal because rather than just focusing on this one Passage. We're going to look at a lot of different passages throughout Scripture that show us what spiritual fathering looks like, particularly in the relationship between Paul and Timothy. Now, Paul made a commitment to being a spiritual father, not just as a pastor and apostle to the churches that he started, but also in more personal relationships with younger leaders that God brought into his life. For example, we see him also use this father-son language throughout his letters and his relationships with Titus and Onesimus uh, in, in his letter to Philemon. So, 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 Timothy, uh, so Timothy was one of Paul's spiritual sons, but, but Paul also poured himself into lots of different people. Here's the amazing thing. Paul was a single man, but he was a spiritual father. Now, I'm not necessarily talking about spiritual father as a formal title, but here's what I mean by spiritual father. A spiritual father is a godly, more mature man that God brings into your life in order to help you grow as a follower of Jesus. Let me say that again. A spiritual father is a godly, more mature man, more mature than you, that God brings into your life in order to help you grow as a follower of Jesus. And that last part is important because I'm not just talking about a mentor. I'm talking about a disciple maker. I'm talking about a spiritual father, someone who is sent into your life by God, raised up in your life to help you grow spiritually, to help you grow to become more like Jesus. Now, this could be your actual father, and it should be. Like, I thank God today. Shout out to my dad. Right, who's preaching right now at the same time down in D.C. He's a pastor as well. 
I'm thankful that God gave me not just a physical father in my life, but also a spiritual father who raised me up to know the Lord, who showed me what it looked like to be a follower of Jesus. And I got to admit, I didn't always see him that way. I was not always a follower of Jesus. I didn't become a true follower of Jesus until I went to college. Just lived a reckless life when I first got to school. And through the influence of some upperclassmen guys who were following Jesus, they pulled me under their wing. They began to disciple me, model for me what it looked like to follow Jesus in my kind of peer context. And I started following Christ. And I looked up to them as spiritual mentors. And I'll never forget one of my guys saying to me one day, I'm asking him questions about the Bible. He's like, isn't your father a pastor? Like, hasn't he been to seminary? And so I took my dad for granted. I didn't want to hear what he had to say. I wanted to kind of do my own thing. Now I'm in a place where I'm thankful that I had that kind of influence in my life. But the reality is that sometimes our physical fathers aren't the spiritual fathers that actually help us grow as followers of Jesus. And God will bring other men into our lives who complement the role of our fathers or fill the discipleship void that our fathers weren't able to fill. We see this kind of relationship in the Apostle Paul and his mentee, Timothy. So the first time Timothy is mentioned in the Bible is Acts chapter 16. We're going to be all over the place. You can try to follow me, but we'll also have the verses up on the screen. Acts chapter 16, verse 1, where Luke gives us some background on Paul and Timothy's relationship. Acts 16, verse 1, it says, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, which is in modern-day Turkey, and a disciple was there named Timothy the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers. These are the Christian brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him. You just got to look that up in a Bible com uh, commentary. Don't Google it, though. And circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, the Apostle Paul was probably the person who led Timothy to Christ a few years earlier on his first missionary journey when he came through Lystra. But in one of Paul's letters, he gives us a little more detail about Timothy's early spiritual formation. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, Paul writes to Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. He's talking to Timothy. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. And later he writes, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, he says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation, to give you understanding about salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So Timothy's mother and grandmother were the ones who laid his spiritual foundation. They were the ones who made sure he learned and understood the scriptures. They were the ones who taught him what it meant to worship God and who put the spiritual dots in place that finally connected when by God's grace, he heard and believed the gospel. 
It was the mothers in his life that laid his spiritual foundation so much so that the only thing mentioned about his father was that he was a Greek Gentile. The Bible never mentions anything else about him, and we don't know why. Scholars have all kinds of ideas. It's possible that his father had passed away by this point. Or maybe his dad was alive, but based on Acts 16.1, since it seems like his dad wasn't, uh, was likely not a Christian, maybe his dad just wasn't active in his spiritual life. Either way, it seems like Timothy didn't have the kind of spiritual father that we've been talking about. And some of you, even today, some of you even today feel that absence in your life. Maybe you feel your father's physical absence. Maybe your dad passed away. Or maybe he just wasn't active in your life. Maybe you feel his relational absence. Where he was physically present, but maybe he was disengaged or relationally unavailable. Maybe you feel your father's spiritual absence. Maybe he was a great dad, but he wasn't the kind of man who could help you in your spiritual life, and you've felt that void. Listen, whether you feel like you've missed out on having a spiritual father or you feel like you've dropped the ball on being a spiritual father, as we study God's word today, I hope you'll see that it's not too late. God can give us the spiritual father we've longed for, and he can make us the spiritual father we long to become. It is not too late. And that's what I want to encourage you to pray about in response to this message. I got a whole bunch of points that we're going to walk through. If you forget all my points, here's what I want you to pray about specifically. This is what I want you to take away. I want to encourage you to ask God to give you or make you into a spiritual father. I want to encourage you to ask God to to bring a spiritual father into your life or make you a spiritual father that God uses in someone else's life because your greatest legacy will not be something. Your greatest legacy will be someone. So what does a spiritual father look like? I want to point out eight commitments of a spiritual father. Pause. I know there's sports on. I know there's lunch. We're going to get through eight points very quickly, dads and spiritual fathers. And these apply to all forms of Christian leadership and discipleship, whether you're a man or a woman. In fact, in Romans chapter 16, verse 13, Paul himself mentions an older woman who had been a spiritual mother in his life. But today I want to emphasize the role that godly mature men play as spiritual fathers. Fathers, And this isn't an exhaustive, definitive list. I just want to paint a picture of what spiritual, uh, spiritual fathering looks like in action. So here's commitment number one, eight commitments of a spiritual father. Number one, a spiritual father loves. Now, I know that may seem like an obvious point, uh, but I'm not just talking about warm feelings. I'm talking about a deeper, enduring kind of love that we see in the Bible, a personal commitment to someone else's well-being. So think about Paul's relationship with Timothy throughout the New Testament. He meets Timothy as a young Christian in Lystra there and invites him to begin traveling with him. So Timothy got to see Paul's life up close and personal. 
the way Paul shared the gospel, the way he handled conflict and discouragement. He got to see Paul's prayer life and how he made decisions and discerned God's direction. And then we see Paul getting Timothy increasingly involved in ministry. And so in Acts 19.22, Timothy's just one of Paul's helpers. But eventually, as we see in 1 and 2 Timothy, Paul has him teaching and leading a house church movement in the highly influential city of Ephesus. So Paul commits himself to Timothy's growth and development from a young Christian into uh, helping him grow as a leader. And eventually, as Paul writes in Romans chapter 16, verse 21, as a fellow worker, a partner in ministry. To the point that Paul includes Timothy as a co-author of his letters to the Philippians, the Colossians, the Thessalonians, and his letter to Philemon. So what we see here is a picture of a committed relationship between a spiritual father and his spiritual son. And this isn't just some mechanical, like emotionless commitment. Paul is intentional about expressing his love and affection for Timothy. He doesn't just think it or feel it. He says it. Listen to the way Paul addresses Timothy. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. He describes Timothy as my son whom I love. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, he writes, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Listen, to Timothy, my beloved child. Paul loves Timothy like a son, and he makes sure that Timothy knows it. Listen, contrary to all the stereotypes, men need to know they're loved. And to be even more specific, as men, we need to know and we need to hear that we are loved by the men we look up to, whether it's our fathers or the father figures and spiritual fathers that God places in our lives. We need to know that there are godly, more mature men who are committed to us and who have loving affection for us as sons in the faith. I'm currently uh, co-hosting a podcast called Unseen Leadership, and this past week, I got the chance to interview a mentor of mine, and I had never thanked him for for this before, so I took the opportunity interviewing him to to thank him uh, for this moment that I'll never forget. Several years ago, uh, he invited me to move and join the pastoral staff uh, at his church. Now, obviously, I decided not to. I said no. Uh, but, but I remember him taking me and my wife, Ashley, to dinner one night. And I'll never forget what he said to me. I've been to a lot of these like recruitment dinners, you know, where people come and you're a young guy and they're like, hey, I see potential in you. And they're just trying to get you to kind of come do their thing. But I'll never forget what Jimmy said to me. He looked at me and he said, Mike, no matter what you decide, I'm committed to you. He said, I'm invested in you. Whether you come out here and join our team or not, just know, like, you're not getting rid of me. I'm committed to you. I want to be involved in your life. I'll never forget that. And that's the heart of a spiritual father. 
A spiritual father says, I'm committed to this relationship. I'm committed to you. I'm committed to being available to you and playing whatever role God wants me to play in your growth and development because I love you. And I think our hearts desperately crave that kind of love and personal investment, especially in a culture like D.C., full of headhunters and recruiters and networking relationships. I think, and there are so many young people and young men in particular moving in and out of this city who are desperately craving for some godly, more mature men to look at them and say, I'm not trying to get anything from you. I'm not trying to recruit you. I am committed to you. And that's what we see with the Apostle Paul, a spiritual father loves. Number two, a spiritual father models. He sets an example for others to follow. And so in 2 Timothy 3, Paul had just finished describing people who have walked away from their Christian faith. And then he says to Timothy in chapter 3, verse 10, he says, listen, he says, you, however, have followed my teaching." Now, that's where a lot of our relationships stop in church. We're in a group, we're in a Bible study, and we're following somebody's teaching. But look at what Paul adds after. Look at everything he adds. You follow my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, watch this, my persecutions, my sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Timothy got to see a lot. And here's what I want you to see in that. Paul gave Timothy a front row seat to both his public life and his personal life. On stage and backstage. Why? Not because he was perfect but because he knew what all of us know that it helps to learn from somebody who's a little bit farther down the road from you in their spiritual life. It helps to have a real life example of what it looks like to follow Jesus in real time. And honestly, sometimes that includes modeling what it looks like to repent and rely on God's grace. This is what Paul did for Timothy. He modeled for him. In fact, listen to what he says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. He's writing to the Corinthian Christians, and he says, I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. Why? To remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in the church. Listen, did you catch that? Paul was so intentional with Timothy that now Timothy is able to model for others what he learned from Paul. And this is how Paul lived his life. In his weaknesses and struggles, as well as in his strengths and successes, Paul intentionally allowed people to see and learn from his personal walk with Jesus. He modeled this for Timothy and for others. Made me think about uh, me as a dad now. So I got three young kids, a 10-year-old girl, a 7-year-old boy, and a 4-year-old boy. My 10-year-old girl just graduated from elementary school uh, this past week, and I'm really trying to figure out how, how to handle that. I'm not prepared. I'm not going to turn this into a counseling session, but I'm just not prepared for a middle schooler. I could keep going, but I'm going to stop. Uh, so... 
Uh, I never was really into puzzles. You know, for me, I don't know why in your leisure time you would do something stressful. I don't want to figure anything out, you know what I'm saying, in my like time off. But my kids are super into it, and so like they're, they're into puzzles now. And so we've been kind of getting into puzzles, and I never really grew up, you know, doing it. Uh, and so I'm trying to figure out with them. And uh, I blame my father-in-law. Uh, because, uh, because he's super into puzzles and he's doing like these 2,000 piece puzzles spread all over the table and the pieces are like this small and it's like the whole puzzle is red. You know what I'm saying? It's all the same color. I'm like, how? I don't even know. Anyway. And so, uh, so we're pr- playing with like these different like puzzles and, and you, you're supposed to get the corners. I don't know the strategy. Um, and so you do like all this stuff and I'm trying to help my kids and I'm failing and they, it's, I'm obviously failing and they're, they're looking at me fail and they've done the puzzle a thousand times. Nobody told me that. And so I'm working on it and I can't figure it out. And then all of a sudden it strikes me. It was like a revelation from God himself. It felt like God was just saying to me, look at the box. (laughs) Like, this is why they put, kids, can you see this? Like these dinosaurs, this is why they put the picture on the box. You don't have to just like make it up. (laughs) And listen, there are so many people around us, so many people in our homes, our families, our church groups, in this city, in our industry, in our office, And they're trying to figure out how to put all these puzzle pieces together in their life. So many young Christians, high school students, people getting their first job, moving to the D.C. area. Even older men who are approaching retirement and have no idea what that's going to be like. There are so many men who are trying to figure out how to put the puzzle pieces together. And you know what spiritual fathering does? It puts a puzzle box in their life. It gives them a visible guide. It gives them a way to say, okay, okay, let me, oh, this is, that's, that's how. And listen, here's why I feel so passionate about this spiritual fathering thing in our church. There are so many young men who don't know how to steward their finances in a wise and godly way who don't know how to be successful in their industry without compromising their integrity, who don't know how to be a godly husband or father, who don't know how to be a spiritual leader in the home and do things like family devotions. Why? Because they've never seen it. And so men, we need to find some younger men. If you're 92, then find a 72-year-old, right? Younger is relative. Can I get an amen from some more seasoned saints, yeah. We need to find some younger men and say to them what Paul said to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11.1, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. A spiritual father models. Number three, a spiritual father prays. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, Paul writes, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. He's saying, Timothy, I thank God, and I'm praying for you constantly. 
Even when he's not able to be with Timothy or there are circumstances that are beyond his personal control, Paul knows that God is omnipresent and that God is the sovereign one who has all things under his control. So he constantly prays for his spiritual son. And we should constantly pray for God's supernatural work in the hearts and lives of the people that we get the opportunity to invest in. You can keep a prayer list. Or the way I do it is I put a weekly reminder on my phone, a weekly reminder on my calendar for specific people that I'm praying for. There's a reminder that goes off on my phone every Sunday at 8 a.m. to pray for Owen Castle. Young high school student that has so much potential that I see so much leadership in him. Every, who's in our church, every Sunday, 8 a.m., Pray for Owen goes off in my phone. It's not that deep. I'm not that super spiritual. I need help. So when that prayer reminder pops up on my phone for Owen or whoever else throughout the week, I stop in that moment and I pray for them. So spiritual father prays. Number four, a spiritual father guides. A spiritual father guides. Paul tells Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, He says to him, he says, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So Paul intentionally taught Timothy the basic doctrines and principles of the Christian faith, which we also need to teach young men and women we're investing in. And this is why I encourage men, young men and older men, to serve as leaders in our kids and student ministries. It's not babysitting or childcare. It's being a spiritual father. It's stepping up and making an internal investment in the lives of the emerging generation. Every time I'm with our middle schoolers, I'm blown away by the depth of their questions and challenges. And we get to be the men who help guide them through all of that. But the wisdom Paul gave Timothy was broader than just doctrinal teaching. He also gave Timothy practical guidance in how to live and lead with godly wisdom. And it's actually a fun exercise to read through his letters and pay attention to some of the practical advice he gives. Here's a few examples. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. Paul's writing to Timothy. He says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. Like, basically, he just said, watch out for them shady people, right? That's, that's, that's how I hear it in, in my head. But he's basically giving him practical advice. You got to know how to move because there are people that don't have your best interest at heart. Then, then look at this, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23. He's writing to Timothy, and look at what he says, verse 23. He says, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Now, have you ever read that and thought, why did the Holy Spirit inspire that? Like, why did God want that included in in the Bible? Like, the English translators put it in parentheses because it's so random, right? I would personally recommend Pepto-Bismol for stomach issues, but that's a whole other thing. Listen, I have no idea why God wanted that in the New Testament, but it does give us a picture of a spiritual father guiding this young man even in the practical challenges of life and ministry. 
So a spiritual father guides with godly wisdom according to God's word. And then along the way, at critical moments of discernment, number five, a spiritual father confirms. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we forget that the people we read about are regular people who wrestled with regular life questions. Questions like, God, what are you calling me to do with my life? And often God will use older, wiser women and men to be a voice of confirmation, affirming and helping to clarify how God is leading us. And we, we see this in young Timothy's life. First Timothy chapter four, verse 14. Paul writes, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders in your local church laid their hands on you. I love this picture. Paul is talking about an earlier moment in Timothy's life when the elders of his church gathered around him and laid hands on him in front of the rest of the church. This was a way of publicly confirming that God was indeed calling Timothy to preach and pastor. But this can work the other way too where we want to do something or feel like God is leading us in a particular direction and, and voices of confirmation that God has placed in our life say, no, that's not it. I remember 2011, I got a, a, a call, somewhere around 2011, I got a call from a, a church in Chicago. Uh, and so I came here on staff in 2007. So this is within the first three, four years that I'm on staff. I get a call from a church in Chicago after a series of conversations they offered me what, what, uh, what at the time was like a dream job, y'all. I was like in my early 20s, um, and, and I'm thinking about this. And so I met with our former uh, ex- executive pastor, Denny Harris, who was like a spiritual father to so many of us younger staff. Uh, Denny met with me in his office, and this is literally what he said to me. He said, it's not time. Now, to be honest, I was a little thrown off by how matter of fact he said it. He wasn't like, I don't think it's time. Or have you considered? Denny just looked at me and said, it's not time. But here's the deal. Denny knew me. He knew my strengths and weaknesses. He had observed the areas where I needed to grow and mature. And God used his clarity to give me clarity. And there are so many young men and women who are wrestling with a sense of calling or struggling to discern what that even looks like. And in local church families where they're able to share life in multi-generational communities, it's one of the reasons why it's good young adults to be with young adults or teenagers to be with teenagers. But it is good to also be in community, join a group, serve in a ministry with people who are not your age. Because in local church families, spiritual fathers can be a clarifying and confirming voice in our lives. And when things get difficult along the way, a spiritual father makes himself available and then takes time to encourage. That's commitment number six. A spiritual father encourages. Ephesus was a difficult city to minister in. And the Ephesian church was experiencing a lot of controversy. And so here's Timothy This young guy who didn't start the church, isn't even from the city, and hasn't established the credibility of an older, seasoned leader. And that's why Paul encourages him in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. He writes this. Some of you have read this, heard this verse before. He says, let no one despise you for your youth. 
Like, don't let that be a source of insecurity for you. He says, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, Paul writes, he says, and we read this first part, he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. And then he says this in verse 6, he says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands, Paul confirming this gift in his life, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. He says, Timothy, I know things are difficult. I know you've been put in a position that feels like you're in over your head. I know you're discouraged right now because people don't trust you. People are calling you too young. I know. And this spiritual father, Paul, comes alongside his spiritual son and he gives him encouragement. And then when we get off track, number seven, a spiritual father corrects. Like we have an epidemic, I think, in so many of our churches and relationships today where we're terrified to lovingly look someone in the eyes and say, you're wrong. Like your truth is actually not true. The lifestyle you've embraced is sinful or unjust or unwise, and you need to stop. But a spiritual father won't just ignore your sin or talk about it to everybody except you. A spiritual father wants to see you become the man or woman God created you to be, so they're willing to risk an awkward moment in order to lovingly tell you the truth. And we don't necessarily see a specific example where Paul has to correct Timothy because of sin, but we do know that this is one of the commitments Paul made in general as a spiritual father. When he hears about the sin that's being embraced in the Corinthian church, he writes this, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 14. He says, I do not write these things to you to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have, listen, though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Listen, notice, this isn't merely criticizing or condemning someone. This is lovingly correcting someone because you want them to experience God's best for their life. And the reality is that sometimes, even when we do our best, even when we do our best to love, model, pray, guide, confirm, encourage, and correct, sometimes the people we pour into will refuse to listen. They resist godly wisdom, they reject God's word, and they may even walk away from the relationship and some of us have experienced that before with our actual, like, physical sons or people that we've poured into or disciple. We've experienced when we've done these things, and then when it's time to bring correction, then they stiff arm us. In their stubbornness and pride, they reject God's word. They might even reject us. And when that happens, number eight, this is the last commitment of a spiritual father. A spiritual father grieves. Spiritual father grieves. You look toward the end of Paul's life when he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9. And he says to Timothy, do your best to come to me soon. 
For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. And Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. And you can hear the pain in Paul's voice. Like he's grieving the fact that Demas walked away from God, but he's also grieving the fact that Demas walked away from him. This is strong language. He says, he deserted me. Like he abandoned our relationship. He cut me off after all the ways that I've loved him and poured into him and been patient and sacrificed for him. And even though Crescens and Titus are still walking with the Lord, they've moved away, and Paul feels that loss too. And sometimes fathering feels like grieving. I remember reading this quote by Elizabeth Stone right before I became a father. She said, making the decision to have a child, it is momentous. She said, it is to decide forever to have your heart go walking around outside your body. I think that's true as physical fathers, but I think it's also true as spiritual fathers who invest in the younger people God brings into our lives. It's a vulnerable and sometimes painful journey. But it's worth it. It's worth it for our physical sons and daughters or spiritual sons and daughters. It's worth it to persevere in being a spiritual father who loves, a spiritual father who models and prays and guides and confirms, who encourages and corrects, and a spiritual father who sometimes grieves. It's worth it, why? Because even where we fail or others fail us, we have a heavenly father who redeems. We have a heavenly father who redeems. Listen, men, none of us are qualified to be spiritual fathers. If you're feeling a little insecure or you're feeling a little bit like a failure, you're feeling like there's things coming to your mind that you wish you had done differently or, or you know the weaknesses in your life, none of us are qualified to be spiritual fathers. And quite frankly, many of us who are physical fathers carry the guilt of not having been the spiritual father we should have been. Others of us have longed for this kind of spiritual fathering in our lives, or we had it and we rejected it in order to chase a vision that not only grieved our earthly fathers, but grieved and dishonored our heavenly father. And the reality of the matter is all of us are wayward sons who've rejected the Father's love and disrespected his authority in our lives. Every single one of us is a wayward son who looked at our heavenly Father in all of his goodness and his grace and his mercy, and we stiff-armed him in our pride and in our sin. We rejected his will and his word. We looked at his goodness as if it was something that would take away our joy. And praise God because Jesus gives us this beautiful picture of the heart of our Heavenly Father in Luke chapter 15. Where there's this wayward son who's walked away from his father and taken his inheritance and offended and, and brought dishonor to his entire family. And when he finally comes to his senses and turns back toward home, practicing his apology speech, just thinking to himself, I'm not even trying to 
be a son again because I know I've lost that privilege. I just need to come home. I'll be a servant. And when he comes over the hill on the way back home, what he sees is his father racing toward him, calling his servants to bring the robe and the ring that signifies his relationship as a son. And he throws a celebration because his son is home. And Jesus says, that is the heart of our heavenly father for every single one of us who feels like a failure, who feels inadequate because here's the reality. My illustration was a little bit misleading. Like none of us are the perfect like picture. All of us are looking around at each other, trying to figure out, doing the best that we can. And, and you look at me because I have a little bit more pieces put together as an older man or more mature man than you are. And I'm looking at this older man here, and we're all pointing each other to this image, the one, the only son who was perfect. Jesus, Jesus, who lived the perfectly righteous life that you and I need to live in order to be accepted by God, but we have not and cannot live. And we don't just look at him and try to imitate him because in our sin and our weakness, we can't perfectly do it. And so Jesus did what we celebrate every single week. He came and he died on the cross for our sins and he was risen from the grave so that his righteousness becomes our righteousness. His perfect record that makes him acceptable before God is now our perfect record that makes us acceptable before God and our sins are washed clean. Our inadequacies are covered and God by his spirit enables us in community with other people to grow into the person that God designed us to be. And so listen, today is not a day, fathers, where I want to condemn you or I want to heap burdens on you or I want to shame you or guilt you. Today is the day that I want to lift your eyes to the grace of your heavenly father who looks at you with love and says, son, if you have not yet put your trust in Jesus and turn toward a relationship with me, like today is the day you get to come home. Today is the day you get to come home stained by all of your sin, by all of your foolish decisions for me to clean you up. Today's the day you get to come home. If you're feeling today the weight of all the things you could have done differently, should have done differently in the lives of your kids, today is the day you get to hear the voice of your heavenly father who says, I knew that before I saved you and those sins are covered and today is a brand new day because our mercies, my mercies are new every single morning. It's not too late. Today is a day for you to have a fresh start in the lives of your physical children or in the lives of spiritual children that I'll bring into your life. And if you're here today and you've lost your dad or your dad wasn't around or your dad didn't have a relationship with Jesus and you're like, I've been aching for that spiritual father in my life. Number one, let me tell you, you have a heavenly father who promises to be a father to the fatherless, who promises to never leave you or forsake you, promises, James chapter one, to give you wisdom when you need wisdom who promises James chapter one to give you every good and perfect gift where you feel like your dad didn't provide for you. Your heavenly father will provide for you, but he will also, he will also in his grace, 
Help bring older, more mature, godly men around you who can be a spiritual father to complement or fill the void that your dad left behind in your life. And so today is a happy Father's Day. Even with the struggles, even with the pain, because our heavenly Father loves us and cares for us and equips us to be the spiritual fathers that he desires for us to be. And listen, if you today, like, you would say in your heart, wherever you're watching from, if you're at one of our locations, if you're sitting here in this room, you would say today, like, I want a relationship with God as my father. Oh, it's not easy, but it is pretty simple. You just turn from your sin and you confess to him that you're a sinner, that you can't earn his goodness or forgiveness, but that your trust is in what Jesus has done for you. And you ask him to save you and become your heavenly father. And God will come into your life and lead you and change you and guide you. And if you're here today and you would say, God, I, I, I want that. Remember, I said, ask God to give you a spiritual father. If you're saying, I need that, I'll ask him to give you that and plug in to this church or your local church, wherever you're watching from, to watch God answer that prayer. Or if you're here today and you want to ask God to make you into a spiritual father, then I want to give you a moment to do that. Would you just bow your heads with me wherever you are? And whatever prayer you need to pray, God, would you be my heavenly father? I'm turning from my sin. I'm putting my trust in what Jesus has done. Or God, would you bring me, would you give me a spiritual father? Or God, would you make me into a spiritual father? Would you redeem the years? And would you use me in the lives of other people? And ladies, maybe you're here and there's men in your life, maybe even young men in your life, maybe even young boys in your life, and you want to take a moment to pray for them. Just take a moment between you and the Lord, and I love to pray to close our time together. Father, I pray for you to raise spiritual fathers in our church. I pray that you would flood this city with spiritual fathers that are raised up right here in McLean Bible Church and other gospel preaching churches, Lord. God, I pray for anyone who sincerely from their hearts in faith pray to put their trust in Jesus, to ask you, Lord, to be their heavenly father by forgiving their sins. Oh God, I pray, Lord, that you would save them, rescue them, help them to grow in the knowledge of you according to your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, God. Thank you that you are the king of kings and Lord of lords, but in Christ you are also our dad, our heavenly father. We thank you for that. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.